0: The scripture reading for this morning is taken in connection with 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, dealing with the topic of being blameless. And we'll read two passages leading up to that text. First, we'll read from 1 Samuel 15, the verses 10 to 26. This one may be one that's familiar to you. And the second one is Job 1, the verses 1 to 8. 1 Samuel 15, if you have a pew Bible, can be found on page 328 of your pew Bible. It's 1 Samuel 15, the verses 10 to 26. Saul has just been commanded to go out and to attack the Amalekites who have been enemies, fierce enemies of the people of God for quite some time and who preyed on the most defenseless even among them. They were the ones who attacked the woman and the children as the Israelites were going through the, uh, going, traveling through the land on their way to Canaan. And they continued to be a thorn in the side of Israel. And the Lord had commanded them to now respond under Saul and destroy them. But Saul, instead of doing that, still took the best of what was there, and kept it for himself. And this is where we come to our passage today. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone down, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the ox in which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people And obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you for being king over Israel. Now we'll move ahead to Job chapter one, verses one to eight. And this you'll be able to find on page 576 of your Pew Bible. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now we'll move to our text for today, and that's taken from 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is for the outline of the work of elders, also reflected in deacons later. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop, then, must be blameless. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when you see the word blameless, does it feel intimidating to you? As you look at this passage, this text that we read today, these questions might jump into your mind. Do you have to be perfect? To be an office bearer? Do you have to be without sin and without stain in your life right from your youth? Is that what it means to be blameless? Or is there more? In this letter... To Timothy, the Apostle Paul speaks of his former life to the young preacher Timothy. In 1 Timothy 1, the verses 12 to 16, we read, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly, in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am, chief. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. That in me, first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering. As a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now, we see an interesting thing in verse 16 there, a pattern of sorts that comes out throughout the rest of Scripture, and perhaps one that you see working out in your own life as well. We see that Paul was not a man who was blameless right from his youth, he was, in fact, a great sinner. Exhibit A among sinners, you could say. The chief of sinners. But even so, he has a God who saves even the chief of sinners. And for this reason, he obtained mercy. Not just that he himself could show and display the mercy of God, but also that through Paul's journey, Christ can show his grace and his patience for all who are going to put their trust in him for eternal life. Christ makes him blameless, and then Christ turns him into an instrument of service, a changed person through whom he calls others to eternal life. I proclaim to you the word of God today, seeking to be blameless. We'll see, first of all, what it means to be blameless, and second, what motivates our blamelessness. So let's deal with that first question that comes up when we look at this word blameless, and that's this, can I be blameless? To begin with, we need to first recognize something. There is a difference between the word blameless, as in irreproachable, or someone who behaves well, behaves in a way that others cannot strongly critique for sin, as in this passage. That's when other people look at your life and say, this person is a good person from a human perspective. And then there's blamelessness as in perfect, which is to say without spot or stain before God. But we need the one for the other. God calls us to desire the one, and the other will begin to feed out of that. Both of these are relevant for our passage today even though the one talking about behavior and talking about from a human point of view, from a human perspective, is the one mentioned in our passage today. So keeping that in mind, that we are thinking about both of them, we think again about that question, can I be blameless? That's a fair question, isn't it? If God is perfectly holy... If he is perfection itself and the source of every good thing, James 1 verse 17, then this is something that we do need to think about. I know that there are many who struggle with this thought. You hope that at the end of days you will be presented blameless before God's throne, but you know and you see your own personal sins and shortcomings, even if others don't. Being blameless to you seems like something that is out of reach. Is it? In Job, chapter 1, verse 8, we read how the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? Now, Job was a man who, like all of us, was not perfect in himself. Here we can see, though, that there was a matter of the inclination of his heart that comes to the front here. Notice how he describes it. He says he fears God. He's not just afraid, although there is something to that. Recognizing his power and his justice and his right anger with sin. But rather, there's also a reverence. A recognizing his character and a desiring to honor that. He is creator. He is God. He is perfect and holy. Do you honor him as such? In the second place, we see him as shunning evil. This means that he recognizes evil, he sees it for what it is, and then he runs from it. One who shuns evil is one who runs from it and runs to God. In his example, we see that the fear of God leads to repentance. This is what is at the heart of our passage today as well. As Paul wrote to Timothy in our introduction, he says, Christ came to save sinners of who I am the chief. He runs as a sinner to Christ. Running to Christ ends with Paul's next line to Timothy, I obtained mercy. He is forgiven. He is washed. He is cleansed. He is holy. As we read in 1 John 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That final verse is for those who have confessed their sins before God, those who shun evil, as it's described in Job here, and who yet still fear. Those who look at themselves and look at their lives and still fear. For those of you who are in that camp, God teaches us this. That Christ has died for sin and that his sacrifice was enough for those who repent and believe. And as we come to understand the forgiveness that is offered and really embrace it, we come to understand more and more that we are seen as blameless before God for the sake of Christ. And as that happens, as we really truly begin to embrace it, then we, become, then we come to love the God who forgives Now, how does that blamelessness, one which is perfect, relate to the word that's translated in our passage today as blameless or in other translations as irreproachable, one that is from a human perspective? The response is this, that because we love him, Because we recognize that he has transformed us and that we are blameless before him, we want to respond and we want to live in a way that reflects well on him, on the one who has shown us mercy. So there are two different things to see. The first is that you are righteous before God. That is the righteousness of faith that's given to all who believe. And that this leads to the second, seeking to be irreproachable, seeking to be not marked by any vice. That is to say, no pattern of living that brings shame on you and on the name of Christ. Wanting your behavior to follow in the footsteps of Christ. But this not driven by the fact that you want to become righteous before God, but because He has already claimed you as righteous before Him. And you are now responding in love. Because we love Him again, because we love Him, we want to live in a way that reflects well on Him, the one who's shown us mercy. But the key thing here is that the second must follow from the first. The blamelessness of being irreproachable must follow from the blamelessness that comes with the righteousness of faith and resting in the comfort of that. It must follow from the blamelessness which flows from the fear of God. The right fear and reverence that leads to that repentance, forgiveness, acceptance, and love. And this is the reason why. If your blamelessness doesn't flow from the fear of God, Then it will flow from the fear of man. The way that you act is always motivated by something. Think about this, loved ones. Is your desire to be seen as blameless from a human perspective, from the perspective of those who are around you, looking at you, is that motivated by the fear of God or by the fear of man? When you think about not doing something or when you think about doing something, what's at the forefront of your mind? Is it what will God think or is it what will this person or that person think? Now don't get me wrong, we don't dive into things not caring anything about what other people think and running roughshod all over them. You get that sometimes and that's a temptation of human nature to think I'm in the right, and so this gives me the right to be harsh. But we're taught to act out of love for our neighbor, and 1 Timothy 3 here also speaks about not being quick to anger. In Galatians as well, we read that the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, peace, and patience. We are to listen carefully to the concerns of our neighbor. We also care about what they think, and the name and the reputation. Of God as they look at us. And so we strive to act in such a way to respond in such a way to them that we won't bring shame on him in the community. But while we do take that into account, the ultimate opinion of our neighbor is not what governs us. Because you can also have it that you present something as faithfully as possible and it's still rejected. So our actions, while taking others into account, are not to be ultimately governed by what other people think. But they are to be governed by the fear of God. That is what has the final say, not the fear of man. What happens when the fear of man becomes our driving motivation, our driving force. Well, consider King Saul, whom we read about. King Saul was a man who no longer feared God. Sure, he feared him in the sense that he was afraid of what God could do to him, but not at all in the sense of being reverent before God. And where you do not have something higher to guide you, then fear of man will set in. You could see that in verse 24 of the passage we had read. Saul says, I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your works because I feared the people. What motivated his behavior? It seemed right on the outside. When everybody looked at him, they could see how he brought things in and how he... Uh, sacrifice the animals before God and from the outside this would have made him look blameless it would have made him look good but in this particular case they were the opposite of what God had commanded him he was okay with being holy on the outside of looking blameless but mainly in the eyes of man And God teaches us that where this is our God, we won't be able to find that peace. We won't be able to find that strength in the Lord. For Saul, it led to the crumbling of his kingdom. It led to those who counted on him being led astray and to a constant fear that what he had would be taken from him. It led to behavior that was changed for the sake of what others would think. Now contrast that again with Job. Job was a man who feared God and shunned evil. He was not a man who changed his behavior because of what others thought, but because he genuinely was motivated towards blamelessness by his position before God. Through that, God led him into a life which was transformed. And you can read about him describing that in Job 31, making every effort to live in integrity, guarding his eyes from lust, caring for his wife, always answering the complaints of his servants, seeking to right wrongs and never looking down on them for their lower position in society, providing for the poor and for the widow, caring for the fatherless and giving clothes to those who had none, not making gold his hope, wealth, or the opinion of man did not control him. Again, that was Job chapter 31. All of these came out of him recognizing his position before God. His desire to respond to people and desire to help people in this way were motivated by his response to knowing, Job 19, verse 25, knowing that his Redeemer lived knowing the one who forgave him and transformed him and made him righteous. These actions were the result of God's work in his life. With God first in his life and his desire to serve God first in his life, the irreproachable living gradually followed. And with God first in his life, where through hardship... King Saul was led to panic and to see everything crumbling around him. Job, when everything crumbled around him, was even able to flourish through hardship and grow on the other side. What had crumbled, he was able to commit to the hands of God, saying, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And rather than constantly living a life that was focused on desperately holding on, he was able to hold things loosely and trust in the Lord. And this led him to a transformed living before men. Because as you are transformed in your rest and trust before God, then people will be able to see that as it follows. Through Christ, we too are led to a life of blamelessness. That is to say, we too know that our Redeemer lives. For Christ's sake, we stand forgiven. And as we begin to meditate on Him and respond in our lives to Him first and foremost, through Him, we begin to respond by His grace and the working of His Spirit more and more with faithful living wanting irreproachable lives for His sake. Christ is the door to blameless living. Forgiven, first of all, we are blameless before God. And as we understand His forgiveness and live within His forgiveness and respond to this forgiveness more and more, our fear of God, our love for God, leads us to shun evil and seek blameless living before man. Not because we are motivated by what man thinks, but because we're motivated by the fear of the Lord. We are motivated by the door who is Christ. We are motivated by the forgiveness of our sins and the call to a new life. That is the blamelessness that comes out in our passage today, loved ones. The blamelessness of a life that he has been transformed in such a way by the forgiveness of God, that it shows in behavior that matches a love for God and hatred of one's own sin. While this is the quality that we look for in elders, it is also a lifestyle that each of us is to aspire to. And the reason for that is this that through coming to understand that you're forgiven, washed clean before God, the heart follows. And where the heart follows, the life follows. You may struggle, but in Christ, you find forgiveness. And as you come to terms with this forgiveness, perfect love drives out fear. And so you will turn, seeking to change for his sake, As this very same grace begins to change your life before God and before the eyes of the people around you, God will then use that. Use that to draw others. This is ultimately why we seek to be blameless. Not because we want to be looked at as good people, but because in the first place we want to respond to God and bring God glory. But in the second place, because we want to show others what God did in us. And through that, we can show others as well what God can do in them. Like the Apostle Paul, we come before them as fellow sinners. Like the Apostle Paul, we can say, I was exhibit A when it came to being a sinner. But through Christ, look how far God has brought me. This righteousness you see as you look at my life, this integrity, this care for the poor, this desire to live a life that's free of sin, that's not me. That's God. Verse 16 of 1 Timothy 1 again. For this reason I obtained mercy. For this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first... Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering, all of his patience and goodness, as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life. And as you give glory to God for this before others, God will use that. So, loved ones, seek to be blameless. Find your peace in the forgiveness of God. Leave behind your hopelessness and your fear and rest in the perfection that God freely gives. And as you find peace, look to him for the strength to change and rejoice as he is able to use your sins and weaknesses and the transformation that he works through you for his glory. Amen.